0: Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, it's the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who will start boycotting Papa John's Pizza, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Maybe they're gonna let Ruben Owens drive Papa John's car on the field during the game. Like he gets to drive it between the uh, the huddle and, or you know running onto the field from the sideline to the huddle. I don't know. Um, congrats to Louisville for landing uh, a really really great high school player, Ruben Owens. Well, I, I will not wager any money whether this is the entire end of his recruitment. Um, which you know, hey young man, take your take your visits. Go around. Um, But, yeah, uh, I've spent some time in Louisville. It's a nice city. It's a nice city. It's not nicer than Austin. But uh, it's a
0: curious, curious bit of news today. Like Scott Satterfield is doing something. Like I don't know what's going on, but that's like the fourth top 200 player that they've gotten. Pierce Clarkson kind of started the thing. He's a quarterback out of California. And, You know, the 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 hits have kept on coming. DeAndre Moore was a surprise commitment out of California. Now Ruben Owens surprise commitment uh, out of the state of Texas. I think he'll be. The highest ranked, or one of the highest ranked players in program history. I think either him or Michael Bush. I can't remember who was higher ranked. Um, but one of the two of those guys will be the top 247 guy for it. But anyway, Ruben Owens, Black Unicorn, uh, once committed to Texas, is now, at least as it stands currently, uh, headed to Kentucky to play at Lawville. But we're not here to talk about recruiting purely we'll probably we'll talk some recruiting in our in our second segment today Uh, but we're going to talk some baseball texas uh, unfortunately goes over in omaha so we'll talk about that and kind of put a cap on the season some coaching staff news again like 36 hours out from that Uh, we've got a utsa preview happening today so we'll welcome in our friends from the alamo dome audible to help us out we'll close the show out with some down the 40 and some bang the drum. So as we mentioned before, um, it's sad, right? Texas goes to Omaha, makes it back to Omaha, been there more than half the time, uh, but does not seem to have what it takes to get over the hump in Omaha. Gets gets a somewhat competitive game-ish against Notre Dame, 7-3. to uh, Pete Hansen got chased early in that one uh, and then got just absolutely blown out of the water by those uh, filthy farmers from College Station, 10-2. In the elimination game, Texas actually held a lead in that one, uh, but didn't manage to hold on to it, putting a cap on a season that was uh, started out with really high expectations, had some really low expectations somewhere in the middle. Uh, But Texas, I think, made it to Omaha, which is kind of the standard by which this program should be judged. And so making it to Omaha is really good Winning a national championship is great. Uh, But overall, I would say a disappointing end to a very weird season. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it.
1: I honestly think that if they redid all the rankings and they came out, as we've advocated in multiple sports, uh, after a little bit of baseball had been played, Texas played phenomenally to start, but after the, the Witt injury, which was very early in the year, Texas may not, probably would not have been the number one team. They probably would have been somewhere closer to the 9th or 10th team because, you know, you didn't know at that point who the third starter was, right? Tristan Stevens um, was the presumed second starter, and Gordon wasn't necessarily on the radar. Um, and so those questions probably would have taken what most experts said: this is going to be a better hitting team, and you know they have you know three of the best starters in, in college baseball. Um, when you lose wit in that equation, then then they probably hit somewhere close to their expectations. But it was never a straight line this entire season. Um, you know, we much maligned uh, pitching staff that had some high points, right? I mean, Pete Hansen for most of the year, really great. Um, he certainly hurt his draft stock here at the end, um, but, you know, had an overall really great season. Lucas Gordon was a great surprise, um, you know, but there were a lot of gaps, a lot of guys who come came in with supposedly otherworldly stuff and couldn't throw strikes or um, gave up big hits at big moments. And so, you know, they they lost games they shouldn't have they they got chased in midweek games they had the the rough South Carolina thing um but they showed some resiliency and they got tough and it felt like you know through regional super regional they had they had coalesced at the right time and then I I don't I, I guess it is keeping with the theme of the season I don't understand exactly how the motor fell out of that boat when they arrived in Omaha um but it just felt like a completely different team I mean it felt like kudos to two good teams also right it's the eight best teams in college baseball so everyone there is good but it felt like just maybe the worst showing of of texas even against some good big 12 teams where they they didn't have their best performance this was probably as bad as the team overall has looked the entire season it happened to be here at omaha just uh you know some uncharacteristic defensive um plays were just you know not 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 making the limit the next thing uh, plays, some some bats going cold on, on some really, really unbelievably steady and sure hitters. Um, you know, it, all that comes together and, and it comes together at the worst time, then you, you get two games and you go home. Um, it stings, but you build on it.
0: Yeah, and, like, that was the conversation I was having yesterday, and people were coming at me for trying to minimize things, but, like, Texas played two really good baseball teams in Omaha. Everybody that makes it Omaha is a really freaking good baseball team, and it just seems like the issues that that Texas struggled with at its worst this year – showed up in Omaha and they showed up against really good teams. And that's what happened in Omaha. This, is this was not a bad baseball team, but this was a team that could play some bad baseball. And that's what they did. The both starters got chased early in the game. Hanson got chased in the fifth. Uh, Lucas Gordon didn't make it out of the second inning. So like they didn't have Tristan Stevens came in on in uh, against Notre Dame and, and did what he was supposed to do. And, and if we got that Tristan Stevens all year, we may be singing a different song early in the season, but, to me, the the issues in Omaha were nothing new. We had seen this before. Heck, we saw it in the first game against East Carolina. Like the the starting pitching struggled. The the bats left guys on base. They left guys in scoring position. I think they were they left 11 on base uh, on Sunday against AM. Like that's not going to win your baseball games. That'll lose your baseball game every step of the way. Melendez had his worst stretch of the season. I think it went one of eight on the weekend. 0 oh of four um, against AM and and. One of those strikeouts probably shouldn't have been a strikeout, but we're not here to adjudicate strike zones. We're just here to talk about, like, you also don't win games by not taking the bat off your shoulder with bases loaded down six. Like, that would have changed things if he took the bat off the shoulder, maybe took a cut at it. But it's not on any of those guys. It's not on... Uh, if if you are blaming Ivan Melendez for Texas's downfall, did he have two bad games? Yes. But he also was... The best player in the country, which is evidenced by yet another player of the year trophy that's going down. He uh, won the Dick Hauser trophy, um, the fifth Longhorn to do that uh, in school history. So like, it's not an Ivan Melendez problem. It was, they played two really good teams with really good pitching staffs. And, you know, even in that Notre Dame game, there were a couple of, of uh, balls that were smoked off the bat that the third baseman made some freaking just out, unbelievable plays on. So when you're playing good baseball teams, it's, it's a game of inches and it's a tough game and it's a humbling game. And they got humbled. And, and again, finishing tied for 8th place is not necessarily a bad year uh for a team that we almost wrote off like 8 weeks ago.
1: Uh yeah, yeah, I mean technically I think you, you, <clears throat> directors cup you get to score it is uh tied for 6th, right? Is that or tied 7th? Tied 7th. I don't
0: I don't know. Math <laughs> is stupid.
1: <laughs> no, you you you're right, Joe. Brett
0: screaming at the radio.
1: Uh, you, you're right. <laughs> uh, expectations are a funny thing, you know. Um we love The women's uh, the the softball run to the championship because we didn't see it coming. We love um, the you know the women's elite eight run under Coach Vic. We we love those those teams that maybe overachieve. But when the expectations are there, and a lot of times this is the University of Texas, the expectations are going to be there. It's hard. It's hard to live up to them. It's hard to achieve. It's hard to um, to overachieve can't overachieve when you're number 1 right there's nothing you can do except baseline yeah you just did what was expected you won a national championship ho hum or you underachieve and people get angry about that and i and i get it i totally get it right in in the first month you and i were drinking the Kool-Aid um, we saw the hitting from historic years um it just it, it was it was at another level and we just assumed the pitching would stay pretty close to the best in the country as it was last year um it didn't happen. We just talked about a lot of things that didn't, you know, did or did not happen. Um, but here's the thing. There's a lot of players who, who will be coming back. There's a lot who won't. There will be a lot of people moving on from this program. I think Tristan Stevens, you know, love what he did to get us to Omaha. Like, don't forget that performance. Um, don't you know, forget him coming in and, and you know giving us a chance against Notre Dame in that one. You know, he, he changed his role selflessly, went back into the bullpen, was a team player. You know, Pete Hansen He's gonna be he's gonna be pitching uh, somewhere. Probably won't be drafted again just as high uh, as he might have been, but he'll be pitching somewhere in the big leagues. Um, Melendez. You just a matter of how high he's gonna get drafted. Um, there's 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 a lot of players who you know will be moving on that made this a fun team. But, you know, I remember spending this year, how the heck are we going to replace Mike Antico? I love that guy, favorite one year, and they did it. You know, there's going to be some of these big, fun players to watch, big names, Melinda specifically will be relatively impossible to directly replace, but we'll we'll find a way. And I think there will be some transfer portal. Some of these young guys will take the step up. Um, You know, you'll see that consistency. And, and, you know, uh, like I said, I think... If it was any other team but the Sooners or the Aggies who would have eliminated us, uh, it would sting a little bit less, right? It, it hurts that, that, you know, Texas A&M, even if they don't win another game, that's their first, you know, college World Series win in whatever, 15 years. But they got to do it against Texas. So good on them. Tip your cap. Let them brag. They're going to come into your cube and your office and your 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 truck, wherever. They they spot you, and they're going to come in and talk their mess, and you just you nod and you smile and you say, yeah. Y'all did it. Good job. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll play again. We'll see who gets to talk then, right? Like they get it. They get the bragging rights. Nothing we can do. Um, but again, just just all in all, a top ten finish to a season. We're not we're not gonna sit here and pretend like this is the worst season in the world. You just you, what could have been will always always be a conversation for uh, podcasts and, and a couple beers in.
0: It's a melancholy thing. Like we're sad Texas lost and we think, you know, again, we we thought at the start of the year, this was a national championship caliber team. And, you know, losing this way and especially losing the A&M, like you said, it, it's it's annoying and they're going to be annoying. But like Texas fans need to stop being Texas fans about this thing. But uh, immediate fallout from that, we talked about the pitching struggles and um. Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball is reporting like as of right now, 8.54 PM on Monday uh, that Texas is parting ways with pitching coach Sean Allen. One year removed from being the assistant of the year in 2021, Texas ranked 26 nationally in ERA and led the big 12 uh, in ERA as well. This, the pitching was much maligned, especially the bullpen issues Texas faced this year. But I, I just, I don't, Somebody's going to look into a really good assistant coach, uh, and I don't necessarily know how to feel about this move in the immediate fallout of it.
1: Yeah, I, I like, when I saw that, I was shocked. I, I couldn't – I honestly couldn't believe it. Like, you understand why fans call for that to happen. Like, you, you, of course, do. We all identified the issue with this team was, you know, pitching in general, but certainly the bullpen. Um You lose a guy like Aaron Nixon, who you you think about this season, if Nixon takes a sophomore step up instead of what's one of the most historic steps back I've ever seen. Um, and, and, And again, maybe that's a different team. If you have that closer, you know you can get... Two and we started the season thinking that's who he was and 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 I'm not saying Nixon is done forever but something I think it's more between the years than anything um, and and I guess I guess maybe that's that's a pitching coach's job is not just pure technique but also the, the the mental game I know you know I heard Tristan Stevens talk about that when he was in kind of one of his struggles as a starter when they they interviewed him uh, during uh, a game he wasn't pitching and he was he was talking to the the, the Longhorn Network crew. Um, And talked about just, you know, it's, it's, you have a bad outing, the coaches, you know, basically try to keep you in your routine, get you out of your own head. So, so maybe that is, maybe that is the coach's job, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, some large percentage of it is just the mental game, which it felt like Texas pitchers, especially those not named Hanson or or Nixon, did not have that mental game this year. They, 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 you know, crumbled at times, they, uh, had control issues repeatedly and just couldn't you know get in their head you know you have the best defense in the country which texas did um throw pitches that make you know hits in the ballpark and and good things could happen uh walks hurt you long balls hurt you um but you know it, so you're right jerry i think you you had it exactly right some school is going to get a phenomenal coach right they we we, we were pretty sure we were gonna lose him last year as a head coach. He interviewed for two or three head coaching jobs, and we just assumed he was gonna be gone. But but for that, so I, I don't know if Coach Pierce has someone in mind or just something needed to happen. There needed to be a shakeup, um, you know. But yeah, I you know LSU has a vacancy. Uh, they they they're looking for. I wouldn't be surprised, right? And he'd probably do great for them, and that stinks because you know we'll play them and they'll be good. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, someone's going to get a really, really heck of a coach. Number one ERA in college baseball last year, assistant coach of the year, like you mentioned. Um, I don't know. I'll be curious what happens the next couple weeks and who that replacement is when they're named.
0: Yeah, and, and again, I, I trust Coach... Pierce to do the, the right thing. I, I mean, three trips to Omaha in five years. 60% of your time spent in Omaha is not a bad uh, run, but we'll see how that shakes out. We'll obviously keep you up to date with that as we continue. But Texas eliminated in the first runaround of the College World Series, and we'll see how the rest of the tournament plays out. So we've got a super-sized show for you tonight, not just A Baseball recap. We're going to talk about something a little bit happier. We are continuing through our preview series. It's week three. If you haven't listened to the uh, ULM and Alabama previews, you're missing out. Go back and check them out. But uh, this might be the highlight of the non-conference schedule for Kyle and I specifically no offense to those other guys but UTSA is in the house we have the man the myth the legend Jared Kalmus of the Alamo Dome audible and underdog dynasty here to help us preview the hometown roadrunners and Jared how are you doing today
2: I'm doing good I appreciate the excitement for the game but don't you guys have Alabama at home this year for, for other podcasts Alabama is the big one
1: air quotes but again you're talking to two products of shirt Siblo Universal City Independent School District to northeast San Antonio boys to uh, you know two guys who have a countdown city or 2-1-0 tattooed now our parents would kill us no tats here uh <laughs> but you know in ink one time in high school tattooed on our biceps so this is uh this is a very puro San Antonio podcast so you you're, we Look forward to this one. That's beautiful. I love that.
2: Thank you so much.
0: If you're old enough to remember this, like 210 was probably in both of our AOL Instant Messenger profiles at one point. Like, that's just where we were at. And, I mean, I, I'm a big – Kyle and I are both big Frank Harris fans because we are from, from Clemens High School. So, like, he's our dude. So – that name will be said a few times today but if you're new with us what we're doing each and every week throughout the rest of the summer we will bring you one of the teams on texas's schedule we are in week three like i said so we're going to hit utsa in a name that's probably familiar to, to texas fans or anybody that's familiar with texas football or high school football jeff trailer took over a couple of years back uh, and in his first year taking over he took utsa from four and eight to seven seven and five their first bowl appearance in like six years year two is really where you see the true trajectory of a team, and well, uh, 12 and 1 is a pretty solid trajectory uh, in the conference title hunt, like uh, bowl game. Again, it, it was an impressive year, and so from your perspective, Jared, as the expert, like how did Coach Trailer come in and turn the thing around so quickly?
2: Oh man, there's there's so many factors. I mean, I, I I've been thinking about writing like a novella uh, around <laughs> how Trailer was able to do it. Uh, but I think there's a few key things. I mean, first off, right off the of bat, I, I think you got to give the previous head coach, Frank Wilson, a lot more credit than most people will give him because he really recruited to UTSA as if it was a G5 power. Uh, and they consistently were at the top of the G5, you know, recruiting rankings. Right. And his, his, him and his staff weren't really able to take advantage of the talent that was on the roster. And then Trailer came in through that transition. I don't think he had a single player transfer out, definitely not any starters. And they kind of modernized the offense. They brought in some really, really, really hot young coaches, some of which have already gone on, uh, you know, to really high paying roles and stuff like that. So I think the talent level was already primed for a pretty good run to take place. Um, I think second of all, I think UTSA benefited from COVID. It feels weird to say that, but I think UTSA maximized the opportunities that COVID presented. Um, Main thing there is they brought in 11, 12 super seniors back. Uh, rearrange the money in the budget to pay for a lot of these super seniors to come back for that fifth or sixth year, turn uh, it into a situation where, you know, I think the Memphis game is a great example of that uh, really hot, sweltering day, get down to the fourth quarter. UTSA was outclassed first three quarters, but they had the depth, which is weird. UTSA's never had real depth before, yeah. but because of those super seniors, they had the depth to kind of, you know, play a little bit stronger through the fourth quarter. And those were all experienced guys, right? Um, so I think that was a huge piece of it. And then as well, I mean, I think Kurt Trailer, to his own credit is just a great motivator, uh, a great leader. And those guys, they go to war for him. And I, I think there's a lot of players on this roster that he's gotten a lot more out of than I thought those guys would ever contribute, right? And then I think the the coaching staff he's put together is really really dang good for a G5 program. So it's a mix of all those things.
1: Huge Jeff Trailer fans, also Gerald and I, from his just short time at at, uh, at Texas, we we you know. It- been yearning to get him uh, back. Didn't realize he was going to go on so quickly to be so successful. I think he's, uh, he's long gone for uh, anything but a head coach at a big school uh, other than UTSA, if he has a next step, but we will be rooting for him. But you mentioned some coaches leaving. They've, uh, and, and obviously, you know, have to replace that. But I, I don't know that you can talk about the UTSA team the past couple years without talking about the biggest departure, I think in my mind, um, Replacing running back Sincere McCormick, who, you know, Gerald and I uh, have had Twitter debates with folks that he was the the best uh, G5 player, you know, the G5 Heisman effectively uh, in the country last year um, and and has been that for a few years, 4,000 yards in his career. I mean, how do you replace a guy that effectively is your, you know, your
2: building block for the turning point in a program? I don't think there's one kind of lift and shift replacement for what Sincere was able to do. Uh, And Sincere was a really unique running back. I mean, he had some games that were fairly pedestrian and like the actual yards. I mean, on tape, he didn't always flash and that's why he didn't get drafted, I think, but he got better as the game progressed and he was just really workhorse type of back. And when it mattered the most, when a touchdown run needed to happen, he found a way to make it happen. Right. So it's kind of the intangibles I think with Sincere Um, and also the consistency, you know, ball security was never a problem with him. He wasn't the fastest running back. He wasn't the shiftiest running back. And, you know, he actually didn't get a whole lot of yards, you know, after first contact. Right. But he just was, like I said, a total workhorse and kept the offense kind of chugging along. So those guys are are pretty few and far between. Right. Um, But I think if you look at what was behind Sincere last year, uh, you know, Brennan Brady is a guy who was supposed to be like the star running back at UTSA, another San Antonio guy. Uh, He's dealt with injury issues kind of on and off throughout his career. Uh, so I think he was only healthy, like th- maybe three games last season. And then past that, you know, it was just like, yeah, a casual fan doesn't even know who these guys are right behind him. So I think the running back by committee approach is going to be a lot stronger for UTSA this year. Um, Brady actually left the team in the spring. He graduated, decided to come back, take his super senior season. So, you know, if he's healthy, um, I think he's going to bring a lot of experience and, and some stability to that position and, um, they recruited one of the top Juco running backs. I think he won the national championship at Juco level. Um, uh, Ty Edwards, he was there for the spring. He looked pretty good, a uh, really big, strong back. Um, and then kind of just here in the past couple of weeks, they got a pretty big addition. Uh, Traylon Smith was a guy who was really good at Arkansas. Uh, he was a starting running back for a couple of seasons there. And then, uh, he did a grant transfer. He was committed to TCU staff, you know, flipped over there. Decommitted to TCU ended up at UTSA. Uh, so I think you guys know 24/7 has like recruit rankings for transfers, so they kind of reevaluate you. Uh, he's one of the few guys I've ever seen have a higher transfer rating than his high school rating that yeah. went from a P5 to a G5. So it's really rare. Uh, if if Traylon comes in in this ball, I, I think he's got a really good chance to take over and, and really be that future back and, and more explosive back that UTSA hasn't had in a while.
0: Yeah, Texas fans are very familiar with that Arkansas roster after after last year, and it <laughs> uh, it hurts me in in a deep, deep way. Well, that's fine. It's it's we've moved on. But uh, I I arranged the show notes this way because I wanted to be able to ask this question, and, and I'm going to be just upfront about it. Kyle, Kyle and my favorite college football player that doesn't play for the University of Texas, Frank Harris from our alma mater, St. Clements High School, is. Playing behind a what I think like four or three or four re- returning offensive linemen. So, um, he's been again a stud for UTSA and a, a playmaker when he they needed him to. I'm a little upset he's not wearing the number zero anymore, but that's just a personal thing. Well, I, uh,
2: so, so uh, let, let me clarify on that real quick. So, Jeff Trailer actually has a program where uh, the team leaders get a single digit jersey, ah, right? Uh, and two one-oh numbers are, are the most prestigious, right? Yeah, but um, every year they give up that number and have to re-earn them through the spring and the fall. Okay. So, you know, as long as Frank does what he needs to do, he's going to get that number zero back. You know, he's got NIL branding opportunities that he's got to <laughs> think about. So yeah. uh, I think it's safe to say he'll be back in zero, but you have to wait <laughs> until the first week of the fall to see that roster update.
0: Well, I've been holding my breath since the last game. I was looking at the roster. I was like, wait, Frank's not zero? That hurts That hurts me in a way I didn't expect it to. Uh, but so he's, again, like I said, he's behind a pretty experienced offensive line, one of the more experienced offensive lines in the conference. So, like, what are the expectations for his, like, you know, his 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 swan song his last year uh, in the alamo dome well i think
2: the expectations are pretty high obviously with sincerely being the program you know there's gonna be more on Frank's shoulders i, I think the offense for a couple different reasons is going to move to more of a pass friendly offense um you know they, they definitely kept running the ball last season even with sincere wasn't really breaking out to that second level and so i think more is going to be put on the shoulders of frank for this season um and i, I think really you expect a pretty good season from him uh he was just so steady last season really rare for him to get rattled you know he avoided turnovers really well um you know anyone that watches him knows like he he doesn't have an NFL you know deep shot kind of arm but he's good enough to get that ball to where it needs to be and UTSA's got a really really good group of receivers as good as you'll ever find at a G5 level um so yeah, you know, I'm not too worried about Frank and what Frank's going to bring to the table. But I guess one of the big question marks for him is that left tackle position. Um, so it was kind of surprising that UTSA didn't go after a really like marquee uh, transfer at the left tackle position. And they're actually, uh, believe moving a backup guard from last season, anticipated to start a left tackle. So we're going to see how that plays out. You know, he did look pretty good in the spring, but you know, I, I think against some of the stronger programs that you has on their schedule. I think that's going to be definitely the matchup to watch in most games going forward this season.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it, I was looking at your schedule with, with U of H, uh, with with Texas. I mean, they, if, if you don't, you know, if, if you can go one and two or heck, two and one, you've really started off really well. But uh, I, I, we'll see because Texas also will be watching uh, the edge to see what we can generate there uh, as one of our flashpoints for the season. So let's switch it over then to the defense since we're talking about it. Um, you know, y- you talk about losing... McCormick you kind of on the other side have to talk about losing honorable mention all-american Clarence Hicks who you know just a, a force in the backfield uh, generating sacks and, and tackles in the backfield I think he believes that the program record or single season record in both of those in um, and, and addition to him four other starters now you bring back uh, Rashad Wisdom, Jamal some your two top tacklers um, and and you know a really good defense last year. Uh, what's the expectation for the for the defense this year? Is there a drop-off? Has there been replacements? What are we looking at?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of kicking back and forth in my head what to expect for the defense. Um, I mean, they also lost a, a co-defensive coordinator as well. Uh, Rod Wright went to Miami and was a really, really impressive at UTSA for uh, both mm-hmm. recruiting and on-field purposes. So, you know, I think that loss hurts a lot um i think right now my take on the defense is they're going to be a little bit worse up front and a lot stronger on the back end um secondary last year was really woeful um go back and watch the western kentucky games both of them a lot of free reign receivers just running uncovered right is uh, a pretty chronic problem that never really got addressed uh but they're getting a massive infusion talent in the back end um they actually flipped a Kentucky signee, which is so weird to say that UTSA flipped a signee from an SEC program, uh, and Zay Frazier. So he's a a four-star cornerback that should come in and compete right away for starting spot. Um, They have a former starting cornerback from uh, West Virginia, Nick Troy Fortune, who looks incredible. PFF loves him. Uh, and then pick cage, one of the best names in college football worked his way into the starting lineup at LSU. Uh, again, coaching transition there. He was promised a scholarship as a walk-on that fell through and Brian Kelly came on board, ended up at UTSA. So uh, a couple other guys coming in as well, but you know, I think that that you are going to see a pretty good turnaround, hopefully in the secondary with that just speed size combination coming in. Uh, but the outside linebacker position is definitely the biggest question mark on this whole roster. Uh, not only is Clarence Hicks out, but I think, uh, six guys with either starting experience or like primary backup experience are out the window. So you're pretty much starting over at that position. And typically it's a fairly quick, easy position to learn. Uh, but just losing that much experience at once at a single position is always cause for concern, I'd say.
0: So I, I want to shift gears a little bit because Kyle and I are, are big fans of recruiting, and we're obviously uh, always ones to stand on the table for something like this. So I want to I want to ask the the question um, and really compare to to rival Texas State. Right, Texas State uh, has has seemed to go the route of the grad transfer as well. A guy Jeff Trailer, who obviously fifteen years as a, as a Texas high school football head coach. Um, has gone the 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 high school recruiting route and kind of mined those steps and really um, mined the kind of gems of the under-recruited like San Antonio and the surrounding suburbs. And like, I, I just want to like from, from a guy who's, you know, you're, you're a UTSA guy. And a lot of these guys are homegrown. Like what, what does that do for the culture and the environment of the team uh, and, and probably has helped them become successful and take some more pride in, in what they're doing?
2: Yeah, man. Oh uh, that, That's another really interesting topic to discuss because I, I, I don't know if it was luck or, or strategy, Strategy, but I think you just, they figured out the transfer portal thing before most programs did um, I, to, to talk at a high level about Joe Trailer's recruiting strategy is they always say they start recruiting from San Antonio out. Right. So they're going to come in early. They're going to identify the guys that they think are power five talents, you know, borderline guys and then G5 guys. Right. Um, some of those guys, they're going to offer run right off the bat. I think they just offered a 2024 quarterback like last week or so. Uh, So they definitely start there and they kind of get a feel for what that class is going to look like, how many of those guys they want to take, think they can take, so on and so forth. Um, And I mean, their primary focus is recruiting Texas high school football players. And, you know, it's Texas State, what they've had, like, maybe like two high school players in the past, (laughs) like two or three years. Uh, that, that's going to be a deep, deep hole for, you know, SPAB or the next coach or the coach after that to, to crawl out of. But, uh, you know, when Jeff Trailer puts on his Texas High School Coaches Association hat and, you know, poses for photo ops and, you know, shows up at every coaching event, uh, stuff I've never heard of, you know, the coaches convention behind the Piney Woods. Uh, there was one in <laughs> Port Lavaca, like the Coastal Event Coaching Association. I'm like, dude, I grew up there. I've never heard of this. Like, it's crazy how, how deep Jeff is. It's in the game. Um, but they truly do like, you know, they have this policy that any, any high school coach can, can send a, a kid into his staff and they're going to give them an honest evaluation and they'll tell them, they call it, uh, I think straight line recruiting and they'll tell them straight up, like, you know, we don't think this guy's going to play for us, but you know, we can get you in touch with an FCS coach or d D2 coach or something like that. Or they'll say, we really like this guy. You know, we want to meet him. We want to get an offer. Right. So while they've worked the portal really aggressively, like, I think I just listed earlier in this podcast, like four guys coming to the portal that should have an immediate impact. That's by no means like how they're building their roster. I mean, they're they're high school focused first and foremost. And then whenever they do reach into the portal, they're looking for guys that, you know, come from high school programs in Texas. Um, I don't know how closely they've stuck to it. And if, you know, if it's hundred percent or what, uh, but they have said that, you know, we're not going to take a transfer if we didn't have some personal connection with that recruit before they went into the portal. Right. So whether that's, they know the high school coach, they know the parent, they played ball with an uncle, whatever it might be. As long as they have some kind of personal connection, uh, they're going to look at that recruit seriously, right? And, and they won't, you know, stick their neck out for a guy that they don't have anyone in their personal life that will vouch for them. So it's a really interesting uh, tactic. And uh, to go back to your first question, or I, maybe your later question about how recruiting San Antonio first can benefit. I mean, first off, like you're going to get some guys that you probably wouldn't get otherwise, just being the hometown team. You know, it's a huge benefit to that. But for the culture standpoint, yeah, absolutely. I think the guys are really bought into the whole 2 thing. And what's really interesting to me is you even look at some of the guys they bring in from like Juco's in Mississippi. They get on campus and they see how much the San Antonio guys like love their hometown and they buy into it as well. Like it's really cool to see guys from out of state that had never been to San Antonio until the recruiting visit, or uh, you know, talk about, you know, it's for the two one O, and they're going to meet with high school kids and, and kind of preaching the gospel of the program. Uh, some of that's just San Antonio's like community feel, as you guys know. You know, you go to Fiesta and it just feels like you know you're you're part of this really vibrant community. Uh but I think a lot of it too is like, you know, the guys like Frank Harris, Brenner Brady, Sincere McCormick, Rashad Wisdom, um, they really believe that the like, UTF is going to put San Antonio on the map nationally. And I think the guys that come in from outside of San Antonio start to buy into that as well because, you know, uh, actions speak louder than words. And when those guys that had P5 offers and had really competitive offers from other G5 programs choose to stay, it shows a level of commitment. Um that makes the buy in process a little bit easier.
1: Alright, so let's uh, let's wrap the serious portion of our 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 interview we know what our listeners come here for it's the rapid fire section um you're 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 gonna be great i know it i can already tell um i'm just gonna jump right in i'm gonna lob up a softball you were just talking about doing it for the 210 a little pride your time in san antonio around folks who know the ins the outs of san antonio uh go ahead and 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 light the internet on fire here best mexican food in san antonio that's really tough
2: because uh, you know there's there's like different types of cuisines there's different things that you like how
1: about your how about your favorite if you don't feel comfortable naming a best you I'll give when, you a cop when, out
0: when you go back to visit what's the what's the spot that you have to go to uh
2: depends what part of town I'm in to be honest with you <laughs> I would say I don't get to get there as often as I like to because uh you know it's it's not downtown where the Alamo Dome is at, but there's a food truck on the corner of Babcock and da, 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 da. what's out of the road? Um, oh man, it's escaping me now, but it's called El Gaito And it's just the best taco truck I've ever had. I, I mean, I you guys know, I've lived in Texas my whole life. I've, I've had hundreds of taco trucks, but El Gaito is just the best. And I don't know what Love they it. do there, but uh, that place holds a special ha- place in my heart. Some other places, Carnitas Lonja is a newer Ooh. spot that opened up recently. And they just specialize in carnitas only. And, you know, it's kind of on the south side. It's not any flash, any frills. They sell out the early and often. Uh, <laughs> but that place is super, super legit. And they actually have a fish uh, spot kind of behind it as well that has, like, fish tostadas and stuff like that. Didn't uh, that so it. that that's the place that I take people, right, when they've never been anywhere to San Antonio. Like, we're going to the south side, we're going to carnitas, loja. Huh? That's a an unbelievably strong choice I,
1: I didn't know they had the fish place but that I've been once and it, it knocked my socks off Um, just okay so I was going to throw you under the bus and say all other fans of San Antonio other places come at him in the mentions but you, you I think you nailed it with a favorite and an excellent I, I'm going to spare you uh, we all right.
0: So it's it's a strong. I'm gonna be back home here in a couple of weeks for for the the July Fourth holiday. So I'm going to have to. I've never been. I'm going to have to check it out. But um, one of the things we a couple of years ago we we had this series going through the summer, and I'd like to bring it back out. Uh, for somebody we haven't spoken to before. So you're from Victoria, where Stone Cold Steve Austin is billed from. Um, Michael Sean Hickenbottom was raised in San Antonio, better known as, as Shawn Michaels, WWE Hall of Famer. And so uh, the I, I say all that to to say this. If you had to pick one player from the UTSA roster, past or present, to be a wwe superstar who would it be and like what would just like describe their wrestling style or their signature move or even their their come out song whatever it might be like just who would it be and give us a little bit about their wwe persona
2: man this is a fantastic question definitely one i have never gone before so I'll, I'll preface this by saying i'm not really a wrestling guy right so all right other, other okay. than you know, the, some of the guys you listed, I, I'm not really going to know persona wise. Like, what, like I, I don't know what like being a heel is or anything like that. Yeah. Like, people say We're
0: not wrestling problem. guys either. <laughs> OK, okay. <laughs>
2: um, okay. I would say I'm, I'm going to pick a Shad Mabry, who was one of UTSA's first players to go into the league. And he, he played for the Saints a little bit. He was a nose tackle, um, but he was on campus when I was there. And he was, like, the most imposing person I've ever stood around because he was, like, 310 pounds. But body fat percentage was really, really low. I mean, this guy was, like, a statue. Um, So I would pick him as, like, an Andre the Giant, I guess, kind of guy. Like, looks like he could just pick you up by the shoestring and, like, flap you over, like, uh, (laughs) you know, like a rubber duck or something. So that would probably be my pick. But, I mean, he just has a lot of interesting characters that if I had some more time to think about it, I think of some good ones maybe that's an article idea for me for this all season feel
1: free to st- feel free to steal it yeah we we people answer it in different ways some guys go for the best interview as the guy who can work a microphone or the flashiest but I mean you can never go wrong with just pure size so i like I like where your head's at uh going with the monster here so let's let's keep it uh uh kind of fun here on the uh interesting thought exercise it, it's your time covering the team now that we're in the new era of nil if you had to match any player with a dream nil uh, deal right whether it's a local uh establishment that you would pair them up a national brand doesn't matter the dream nil deal with uh a player on the roster again can be can be past
2: or or current yeah, this one I, I've had been asked a lot, and uh, you know, like I like to think about it a lot, and the answer is really easy. Uh, I, I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of restaurants, like barbecue places, are doing kind of group NIL deals with offensive, defensive linemen, right? Yeah. Uh, being from the San Antonio area, I can only pray that you guys have had the King Kong Nachos at Chachos before. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so for the listeners that haven't been there, or haven't been to San Antonio, the King Kong Nachos at Chachos are like a platter, like probably like three feet square uh, coated with like four different types of cheese. And I mean, I think they say they recommend like eight people eat that meal together as like a, you know, a shared plate. Uh, But I've seen some really hungover and inebriated college students smash on it with like, you know, just three people around it. Uh, So I would love to see Chachos sponsor the UTSA offensive line, have the starting five out there with a plate of King Kong nachos for each of them. And uh, see if they could get through five, which is five guys. I like it. I'd, I'd pay to watch that live stream. <laughs> I wouldn't pay to watch the aftermath. <laughs> we,
1: yeah, we have brunching with the bigs in Texas, so it, okay. if you need some where, NI- where advice at? to set it up, I, they they rotate. It'll be local restaurants okay. hosting the offensive. No one restaurant can host the, the the offensive line too many times and and still keep inventory. Um, <laughs> the other acceptable answer would have been, of course, best name in college football, pig. Cage, you heard him say it earlier. I'm just reiterating for our listeners who may have missed that it was in fact pig cage dealing with boar buster or one of uh, one of the local hunting. I don't know all the hunting brands, but for for pig traps. But I mean, it seems right right there.
0: You just talked about a carnita spot, so like that would have been a, a, a solid pairing. I'm just that's, just throw, throw, that's just throw it out there. That's true. That's uh, true. Okay, so we we love to hate we hate to love to do this to people but if i made you say one nice thing about the texas state bobcats what would you say
2: well i, I really can't pick anything for football because they've been so miserable <laughs> since to FBS i mean they've only come close to competing with utsa in one game um but i don't hate texas state as a school right Um, So I'm going to give them a lot of kudos for their graduation tradition of, you know, having like your your gown on and then jumping into the San Marcos River right after you graduate. Not only is it super cool, but it's really unique. I mean, I I can't think of another school that does something like that or even has the ability to do something like that. Maybe people jump in some like man-made pond on campus or something somewhere or something like that. I've seen people get in the fountain at UTSA, you know, but uh, jumping into the actual river in town is really cool. So I got to give the Bobcats some love for that. Uh, Secondly, I'll say that my favorite hamburger in all the state of Texas is, is in San Marcos and that's a guacamole queso burger at the tap room on the square. If you guys uh, haven't been there, definitely check it out.
1: That is a good burger. I've I've had a g- generic burger. I don't think I've had the guacamole queso. Uh I uh, next time I'm in San Marcos at the taproom, you'll I'll have to try it. It's
0: extremely
2: messy as you can imagine, <laughs> but
1: uh
0: it's worth it. It's awesome. I'm going to venture to guess there're probably a lot of wasted evenings in San Antonio between the three of us on, or San Marcos uh between the three of us uh <laughs> on this call. I've had sometimes for sure. <laughs> Uh, but Jared man thank you so much for, for joining us bro. it's been a blast if, if folks want some more of what you've got to offer where can they find you on the internet
2: yeah definitely so my uh, Twitter accounts at Jared UTSA if you want to follow me personally uh, then of course at Alamo Audible is our Twitter account for the podcast Alamoaudible Audible is just a little too long for the character limit so you can find us on there uh actually this week we're launching our new website. I'm not sure when you guys are planning to publish this, but uh if it's the week of uh June 20th, then uh should be live and that's almondamaudible.com. So definitely check it out. We've spent uh I, I would say many months building the actual website, but it's like years and years and years of content. Um so I, I think it's probably gonna be the largest like online repository of UTSA content like ever. So awesome. that's really cool. So definitely check us out. Give us a follow. Of course, we'll be previewing the, the UT game uh we always have like special guest interviews as well so yeah that'll be that's about it
0: awesome brother well thank you thanks again we'll not take up your whole evening i know you're you're tired Let you get some rest but man thank you so much for for staying up late with us
2: yeah of course appreciate it I'm happy to come back anytime and uh, thanks for throwing some fun questions at me
1: no it's always a good time it's still the university of texas no matter what city's after it so it's all love here i'll even throw a little meep 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 Love it. Thank you,
0: guys. <laughs> thanks, man. And so now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. So we were on it before everybody else, and that's totally fine, thanks to our friends over at Director's Cup Updates, our friend uh, Brett Wilkinson. But Texas has officially been named the Director's Cup champions for the second consecutive year, including 10. NCAA top two finishes and four national titles to their name.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stanford baseball also got knocked out, but that didn't matter. It was it was announced before uh, that even happened. Um, Texas, another top ten finish for uh, the the baseball team was the, the icing on the cake. Um, 12 top five, 14 top ten. I mean, just really top to bottom outstanding. And then you have volleyball and baseball, who both were number one for good chunks of the year. Volleyball for most of the year, who had disappointing finishes, track who nibbled at having almost some more national championship. There was still meat on this bone, and that's almost the most exciting part about it, is that it, uh, an unprecedented, incredible year, and it's like, ah, so close, could have been even more. Um, so that that leaves you in a good feeling. Um, there's some players leaving, some some going pros, some, some graduating that will make... You know, repeating this a third year in a row, difficult. But uh, I have faith that, that Christo and in, in Texas puts a lot of priority top to bottom uh, winning. Just win, baby. And boy, did they. Very, very cool. The best award uh, for totality of an athletic de- department. Texas wins again.
0: Speaking of Texas winning, some may say this is meaningful for other reasons. But we'll just call it what it is. Three-star tight end, Will Randall commits ...to the University of Texas. He is a tight end out of Isidore Newman High School in New Orleans. Kind of projects to an H-back for Texas, but this looked like, um, you know, everybody's going to point out the Arch Manning connection, but Will Randall fills a need for Texas, and he's one of the better tight ends left on the board, so... I feel like it's a win-win for the Longhorns in this situation.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, look, their their past two commits have been tight ends. There's clearly a position they're prioritizing. He, uh, you watch this guy's tape. I don't know who's throwing him the football. Looks okay, but this guy has some good good catches. But now, obviously, uh, I hope Will Randall does not get treated as a as a. Uh, Uh, an accessory in in the next however long before the the arch commitment is official wherever it is that he's going um he like gerald said is a good player certainly in his own right but uh, it doesn't hurt that he is the best friend of arch manning that you know if if but if there is any player that package deals don't apply to and doesn't follow the conventional rules of what you think uh, a recruit or a commit is thinking about and, and prioritizing? It's probably Arch Manning, um, but but again, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt um, to get that pipeline to uh, a school that's produced some really good talent over the years, right? Keep the keep the Newman pipeline pumping, uh, whether it's Arch, whether it's Will Randall, whether it's you know whoever's coming in years future. Um, I'm not mad about it.
0: Texas needs some tight end depth. He's going to project to like that kind of. Multi-purpose H-back position, put him in the backfield as a tight as a fullback, have him in an inline blocking role. Again, he's a good player in and of himself. Texas brought him in for visits uh, outside of Arch Manning, so uh, he definitely was somebody that the staff identified as somebody they needed outside of being, you know best friends with the number 1 quarterback in the country and the only quarterback Texas is recruiting in the class of 2023. We mentioned it in the baseball recap, but Ivan Melendez continues to need a bigger shelf. He now brings home some more hardware and the Dick Hauser trophy is his, becoming the fifth Longhorn to do that.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's really incredible. We'll do this one last time because we've done it a few times, but just to cap it off because it is a year that deserves time. Maybe if he wins the Golden Spikes, we'll do it one more time. But uh, 32 home runs, 94 RBIs, 886 slugging, 209 total bases. All those lead the country. Um, broke the record all time uh, for Texas home runs as well as home runs nationally in the BB core new bat uh, era. Um, he, he's done it all. He walked, he got on base, he had a great defensive play in the college world season, even though his bat wasn't working, he was playing some good defense, a couple good uh, defensive plays uh, there, so, you know, it, it, just keep racking him up, and the, the, the interesting thing about this, right, Del Conte talked about it a couple of weeks ago when someone asked him, what's the criteria for getting a jersey retired, and he said, win a National Player of the Year award, and be a consensus All American. I believe Melendez so far, all the All Americans have come out, has been a consensus All American. He's now won two of the three postseason awards. So I think what we hear is that not only uh, do we have to update our Mount Rushmore conversation and consider Mr. Melendez in it, uh, but he'll probably have his jersey retired in a few years um, and will go down as a Longhorn legend.
0: It makes my heart sink just a little bit hearing that, like, Every time they talk about the National Player of the Year thing uh, being a, a criteria for being uh, having a jersey retired. Because uh, Janae Jefferson absolutely should have her jersey retired from the University of Texas. But uh, she played, you know, like Jocelyn Allo, who's one of the best college softball players of all time. So that's just something to keep in mind. And now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics. Big Bertha. And we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week?
1: While baseball was playing, there was another Longhorn sporting event going on. And Even though it didn't work out exactly how we'd hoped, uh, it was much more fun watching that and getting updates of that. Of course, I'm talking about the U.S. Open. Um, If you you followed that, there was a lot of Longhorns to be seen. Um, Jordan Spieth didn't have a great final day um finished tied 37th i believe um so he was not the longhorn of note um bo hosler my, my guy bo is just a, a monster in 3 out of 4 rounds he can't can't quite string together for um he was you know i think a shot back he at one point uh, was was a, a favorite to get a, a lead um you know he he was he was right there until again a, a tough final day um, knocked him out of contention, um, finished tied 53rd. But but shouts to Bo, you know, first two days was on the leaderboard. Um, Scotty Scheffler, right? You know I'm going to talk about Scotty. Scotty finished tied second, five under, missed uh, one stroke off the lead. Kind of a heartbreaking way to not get another major. Um, but don't cry for me, Argentina. Scotty Scheffler also um, still the world number one. Uh, set the PGA Tour record for money earned in a season. I want to remind everyone that it's it's uh, June. There's a lot more season to go. Um, Scotty is uh, is putting up some eye-popping numbers. Uh, 25 years old, he's got nine top tens, uh, 14 25s in his 17 career events he's all these runners-up winners everywhere um since October he has made 12 million eight hundred ninety six thousand eight hundred and forty nine dollars um so don't don't feel bad uh don't feel bad at all um for Scotty He broke Jordan Spieth's record from the 14-15 season, so don't feel bad for any Texas golfers. But the guy who I'm most excited about, Gerald, two weeks after the biggest putts, the biggest uh, tournament of his life in his college career, Travis Vick sporting the bucket hat, becoming a cult hero, winning a national championship, he played his first Open. And he had Scotty Scheffler giving him tips, giving him tricks, in his in his year, telling him he was he was giving interviews about how Scotty was calming him down, giving him, you know, ways to take your mind off the pressure. And it showed because Travis Vick just went out in his first uh, tournament after that and and shot the low amateur round at a really tough US open course. So Longhorn Golf continues to be the epicenter of the world. Scotty Scheffler is on top of it. And we know what the cooties can do. We know Cole Hammers getting on the on the uh, on the corn ferry tour. But don't forget about our bucket hat boy, our beautiful bucket hat boy, Travis Vick, coming in the clutch, representing Texas golf. It's truly a legacy. You got to take that name.
0: I'm totally fine with Texas leaning into the Country Club T-Sip thing if they keep winning national championships in those schools to, in those sports. Totally fine with it. I'm banging the drum this week on something that doesn't exist and that's online civility. Uh, you and I take great pride in pettiness being our sec- really our first language, not even our second language. Petty, like I, I feel like I came out of the the womb just making fun of people. Um, but something that I I've seen in a lot of the conversations with rival fan bases is personal attacks and especially attacks about people's appearances and, and it cropped up this week because, well, um, Texas Fancy Boots, if you don't follow her on Twitter and you're following us, like how like she's one of the best follows out there. But she was uh, put up on some A&M boards, and they took some some A&M Twitter feeds, and they were taking some personal shots at her. And um, that always rubs me the wrong way when people do that. But Texas fans were just as awful with the – m Yell Leader leading some yells in the game in the stands. Um and you know what? There's enough to make fun of AM and their weird not cheerleader, cheerleader milkmen, and all of the weird rituals. They have a whole webpage devoted to their weird rituals. There's so much to make fun of that taking personal shots at somebody's appearance or their weight, like you should be better than that. Like that's this is not middle school. Like Yes, make fun of the fact that there are five different ways to say whoop. You have to hold your hands in a specific way to do it. One underclassmen have to cover up their ring finger on their right hand when doing it because they don't have their rings yet. And you have to say a, instead of whoop and you have to grab the person next to you by the groin. And there's all sorts of weird, there's enough weird stuff to make fun of these people about that. We don't have to take shots at somebody's physical appearance to properly uh, roast them again. Make fun of the milkmen. Make fun of all of the other weird traditions. Make fun of the fact that the dog is one of the highest authorities on campus. There's so much to make fun of. You don't need to take personal shots at somebody to make fun of Texas A&M. You should be better than that. Be better.
1: I appreciate the petty policing. Um, Gerald just spot on you're you're always just so right you're 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 always square on it it's uh petty is wonderful it's fun it's fun to to talk noise to but but yeah remember these are the the end of the day as much as we 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 talk trash about them these are human beings who, who support these other teams uh and you know even though we 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 desensitize and 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 to devalue them from that position so that we can say the meanest things we can imagine on the internet Uh, yeah like Cheryl said just use the regular stuff. Use the easy stuff. I mean, it 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 it, it honestly is like shooting fish in a barrel and just ins, you know it, it, insulting the barrel here. You know, it's it's very easy. Just <laughs> leave leave the barrel itself out of it, man. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, Gerald,
0: yet again, you're spot on. Calling making fun of the weirdness that AM shooting fish in a barrel is insulting to both fish guns and barrels. Like it's just it's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. It's so weird out there. Make fun of literally anything else that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet
1: oh you can follow me on twitter at kyle carbon you can also follow the texas pre-gamer at texas pre-gamer
0: you can follow me on twitter i am at gh goodridge follow the show on twitter at longhorn pod facebook and instagram the longhorn republic or shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in again this week and until next time hook em. hook 'em, hook meet me